Hello, welcome to the Dear Writer podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. We're two aspiring collaborative authors sharing our writing journey with you. The ups, the downs, and everything in between. Whether you're just starting out or a more experienced writer, we hope that you'll find this podcast inspiring and thought-provoking. And here's the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to Dear Writer. Today we're recording episode 71, which is one of our Talking Shop episodes. And like all of these short episodes, we'll just jump straight into it. So Sarah, what's your tool of the month this month? This month, I've read something quite different. When I look at articles, I do find myself drawn to the science side of writing articles. I guess it's just really interesting to me to understand how our brains work as writers (laughs) from like a psychological and sort of neurological perspective. And so the article that I chose was titled, I've learned I need to treat my characters like people. varieties (laughs) of agency and interaction in writers' experiences of their characters' voices. And it is by John Foxwell, Ben Alderson Day, Charles Ferniehoe. Ferniehoe? I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. (laughs) Sorry, Charles. (laughs) And Angela Woods. And it's in the Journal of Consciousness and Cognition in Volume 79. And it is an article that's been written in 2020. Oh, nice and recent. Yes. I do love the title. (laughs) Yeah. So basically, as you may have guessed from the title, that this article was exploring how writers experience their characters and particularly whether or not they heard their characters as a voice separate to themselves (laughs) um, and how their characters' voices manifested, whether it was just a voice or whether they could see their characters and the degree to which a character's voice was separate from the writer's own internal thoughts. And so basically the aim was to work out what writers meant when reporting their characters talking back to them (laughs) in quotation marks. And again, in quotation marks, developing a life of their own. They also had a second aim based on some previous research that's been done that was to discover if there were any differences between writers who report this phenomenon and those who did not. And they hypothesized that based on prior research, uh, writers who reported hearing their characters speaking to them would display elevated rates of vivid inner speech and hallucination proneness and be more likely to have had an imaginary companion during childhood. (laughs) I love this so much. It was a very interesting and fascinating article to read, (laughs) although it was also quite full of jargon, as you may expect, being a bit more scientific. So I'm not really sure if it's one that I'd recommend people to read (laughs) because you probably won't get that much out of it except for like, you know, unless you have an interest in science like I do and in psychology then you might enjoy it but you know that's not necessarily going to help your writing very much it's just (laughs) something that I thought was kind of fun to look at but basically what they did because it was a study it wasn't just a literary review of other articles so they gave a number of writers a bunch of questionnaires and surveys and they collected it at the 
2014 and 2018 Edinburgh International Book Festival. They chose this festival in particular because they wanted writers who were specifically invited and had a bit of prestige and had been published to be reporting the experience. Right. But in these surveys, they investigated the writer's experiences of their own inner speech, agency of the characters, so the, the degree of control writers felt they had over their characters, the type of dialogue writers engaged in. And like, so, you know, some people might literally sit down and have a conversation with their character or like act it out. Um, whereas <laughs> other people, you know, reported just, you know, kind of like having a sense of them or like the characters being like, as they were writing, I would never do that kind of thing. Right. <laughs> but, you know, like the different types of dialogue that they'd engage in and whether, say, the character would spontaneously appear outside of the writing process. <laughs> Feels like an episode of Supernatural. I know. A writer with, with its ghost characters that like pop up every now and then. I know. And they were like looking at things like how long it took for writers once they've completed a work for the voices to like go away. <laughs> Which I found Amazing. quite funny. They did find that people who report writers who report hearing the voices of their characters would often see them as well um oh. but usually it was kind of like not so much like visually hallucinating them <laughs> it was more like thinking about oh like as you're doing something like spontaneously you think about how your character would do it like in seeing a specific action that they might do right what I found really interesting is that a lot of people didn't really see their characters' faces unless they were like specifically sitting down writing and like focused on what, okay. you know, if it was something that was needed for the description, then they'd see their characters' faces. But then like if they were just talking or like hearing the characters speak or like seeing the character, it would be like an action or kind of like a a sense of them more than actually like details of their face and I was like yeah I can't say that I've ever like really strongly like pictured any of my characters faces unless I'm like you know writing it out yeah yeah so I thought that was kind of interesting it's really interesting it'd be interesting to know if like when you think about people that you you know know whether you picture their faces as well or not you know what I mean? I mean, that that is a good point. And they did compare a little bit of like, you know, how sometimes you might get an inner thought of, you know, oh, someone so would say this to that or um, yeah, like your mother being like, get out of bed. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like that kind of thing. They kind of looked at how often people experience the thoughts of others as well as oh, yeah. from the characters. So it was a very interesting article. They also looked at the relationship between agency and alterity, but alterity being the extent which the characters were experienced as a separate or distinct from the writer. And agency, you know, being how much your character is willing to do what you tell them to, basically. But interestingly, they weren't really 
that linked so you can experience a character wanting to act a certain way but then still have a strong awareness and a mindset that doesn't differentiate the character from yourself so like okay so I kind of took from that that fortunately it seems most of us are very aware that the characters are fictional despite reporting (laughs) hearing them and experiencing them as forming the life of their own so to speak yeah and they did find that writers who heard character voices scored higher when testing for proneness to hallucinations, although it was noted that the few writers who had actually experienced hallucinations reported them much differently, not related to their characters, I mean. Right. Which was, you know, like it was less awareness of whether the hallucination was real and it sounding more like a physical voice. And there was no association between writers having imaginary companions in childhood. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite interesting. Yeah. This was basically the extent of the article. <laughs> uh, I could say a lot more on it, but, you know, as it goes quite in depth and just like looking yeah. at the relationship of writers and their characters. That's quite cool. It was really cool. But what I took from it was that... If you feel your characters develop their own thoughts and feelings and you speak to your characters, even to the extent of seeing them or acting out conversations with them, you are not alone. (laughs) (laughs) Comforting thought. There was a range of responses, as you'd expect, but some of the quotes which were papered through the article um, demonstrating like the different degrees of writers hearing voices and agency some of them really resonated with me one person said I love it when my characters go off script it's one of my favorite parts about being a writer and often these unexpected plot twists are the best of all and to me that sums it up quite well it's a very good quote that is we've often talked about that how it's so amusing when they're like no (laughs) I'm doing this you're like okay go ahead (laughs) but yeah so that was again I've learned I need to treat my characters like people varieties of agency and interaction and writers experiences of their characters voices that was the name of the article still love the name (laughs) and it's an open access article so if you are really interested you should hopefully be able to find it I'll put the link as I have started doing in the episode some notes awesome what was your tool of the month ashley so i also went for an article this month to be honest the name got me which is why the title got me which is why i ended up doing this this article it's called hideous progeny examining how the failings of science and technology have informed a range of dystopian texts (laughs) it's a good name right it is it's by paul taylor mccartney in the journal writing and practice volume 16 the year's 2021. So I just thought I'd kind of go through how the paper describes it. And then they have a few interesting topics about different dystopian texts, which I'll cover a couple of them. So the, in the introduction, the author describes that this paper looks at how, well, failings in science and technology have created a number of key tropes in the dystopian genre. And he labels these tropes as the like interconnectedness of memory and identity. So it's usually to do with like, generally it seems to be authoritarian regimes and, you know, the suppression of identity and like trying to make you not remember 
like what you were before, basically. Right. And then the other trope of using reading and writing as a form of resistance. So (laughs) the author begins by talking about some of the key differences between sci-fi and dystopian fiction and ultimately decides that tone is the distinguishing feature between the two genres. Interesting. Yeah. So in respect that sci-fi, in most sci-fi books, the attitude towards science and technology is like, it's mostly neutral. Or like it's neutral or positive. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's not, just, it's something that's there. Yeah, exactly. It exists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, whereas in dystopian texts, there's quite a shift towards a negative attitude. And usually mm-hmm. it's this attitude that has become the central narrative of the novel. And I was like, that's such an interesting way of looking at it. Yes, because I have thought about this as well, because really dystopian is categorized under the sci-fi umbrella. But I always felt like that was that was why it took me so long to work out that our book was dystopian, because I was like, but it's not like science fiction. <laughs> yeah. So that is an interesting an interesting differentiation between the two. And I, yeah. I quite like that because, yeah, they are quite <laughs> different, really. Yeah. <laughs> and so then the author goes on to highlight Mary Shelley's Frankenstein novel as a particular text that highlights the shift between sci-fi and dystopian. And I'm going to read most of this is like almost directly from the article because I found it so interesting. So Shelley consistently criticizes the scientific worldview in her novel Frankenstein as one lacking human-centric values. And so, as I said, this novel can be thought of a bridging piece of work, so like a hybrid sci-fi dystopian. Mm. And then, quote, it's a terrifying world of possibilities, but with a purveying mood of desolation. So this is where the title comes from. It cracked me up. And the author suggests that dystopian literature is the hideous progeny of sci-fi, akin to <laughs> Dr. Frankenstein and his monster. That's great. <laughs> And describes it as, quote, a dark, malevolent figure living in the shadow of its parent, intent on revealing the dark underside of scientific experimentation and progress. Just such good lines. <laughs> it is. It is. It's great. So that's kind of the introduction and I guess where the title comes from. And then the author goes on to highlight a bunch of different examples of types of dystopian fiction that are out there. I think he goes through like maybe seven or eight different types and kind of then relates it to the two tropes that we talked about before. So the identity trope and the reading and writing as forms of resistance. I've just picked two because otherwise it's like a lot. And yeah. this article this article is open access. So you can go check it out if you're like interested in a particular type of dystopian fiction there's bound to be a category discussed. So I decided to go for the first one will be anti-utopias. And then the second one is going to be acts of resistance. So talking about anti-utopias, so they, the author describes utopian works as that they typically sketch a future in which technology improves the everyday life of human beings and advances civilization. Then it is equally true that you know, dystopian works offer the opposite view. And then there are the anti-utopias where technological advances usually 
actually set about enslaving humans um, or regimenting their lives, which results in a collective loss of memory and history, making mankind easier to manipulate psychologically. This ultimately leads to dehumanization. And so he's talking about how this particular type of dystopian fiction highlights the link between memory and identity as a key trope in that. Right. And these texts generally have some sort of totalitarian government that has, you know, some sort of political agenda and they're using science and technology to like push this agenda to try and like subjugate their people. So I thought that was interesting, just kind of linking it back to the start. This is a very interesting interesting article. It really was. The second one, where they're talking about acts of resistance, and in particular, they focused on the theme of of reading in books as a form of resistance. And so they talked about, you know, the book 1984, where you've got the Ministry of Truth editing history books, or Fahrenheit 451, where firemen are tasked with burning outlawed books. And then reading alone becomes like this empowered act. And the protagonists in these types of books start to use reading and writing as a means of resistance to demonstrate free thought. So that was sort of linking acts of resistance, which at the start I was like, how, what acts of resistance linked to reading and writing? Like, I don't really get it. And then I was like, oh, I kind of get it yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think like Fahrenheit 451, when you mentioned it at the start, was the one that immediately came to, yeah. came to mind for me. I do find it interesting how many authors write about authors <laughs> or, or write about writing yeah I mean I, I guess it's you know where you're comfortable you know about writing but it's amazing how many books it's in like <laughs> yeah. yeah anyway sorry just as a sideline there <laughs> no that's all good for me I immediately well once I realized what I kind of meant by the reading and writing I immediately thought of 1984 because I'd been attempting to read that I was like, I guess, yeah, it right, makes sense. Right. All to do with, like, I guess how you try and show your free thought. Yeah. Anyway, so they they go on to talk about a lot, a lot of other um, types of dystopian works. Uh, so if you wanted to read any more of them, you can go check it out. That was the article, Hideous Progeny, examining how the failings of science and technology have informed a range of dystopian texts. <laughs> Very interesting. Oh, articles. I know. <laughs> it's so fascinating. And there's such random information as well. Like, <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. I like that Frankenstein is now the bridge between sci-fi and dystopian fiction. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so let's move on to what we're reading for fun this month. Sarah? So again, something a little bit different. I read Love Your Life by Sophie Kinsella. So okay. I have a confession. <laughs> Um, is that when I'm a little bit tired, this is going to sound really bad for, I'm, I'm really sorry to like writers who, who write chiclet. Um, <laughs> I view it a little bit like I view kind of reality TV watching. Like it's kind of like my, <laughs> I, I really say this really gently. Like I, I think it's still great or I wouldn't read it, but I, I kind of view it as my, sort of junk reading time (laughs) which sounds terrible but you know like they're really like quick books you know you open them up you read them in like a couple of days and you don't really have to engage in like really deep thought or anything because usually they're pretty you know it's they're usually like romantic 
chicklets about like someone's life. And so I decided to read one of those because I was like, yeah, I kind of feel like I need a palate refresher. I'm a bit tired and I don't really have a huge amount of time. So I'll read one of those. And it was very good. It was quite funny. At the start, it had like this character who she seemed okay. And then you got a bit further and you realized that she was actually kind of insane. (laughs) 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 Then you, um, you realize, you know, her heart was in the right place. She just, she needed like to go undergo a bit of change basically. And, you know, once you got past the slight strangeness of her life, it was all good. But initially like the, the guy she was seeing, they were like entirely mismatched. And I was like, just run, like run as far (laughs) as you can. (laughs) It was like, do not go near this woman. (laughs) But, you know, by the end of it, I was kind of rooting for them. So she did the job <laughs> in engaging me as a reader. Yes, that's good. Um, I'll read out the blurb for it. Call Ava romantic, but she thinks love should be found in the real world, not on apps that filter men by height, job, or astrological sign. She believes in feelings, not algorithms. So after a recent breakup and dating app debacle, she decides to put love on hold and escapes to a remote writer's retreat in coastal Italy. She's determined to finish the writing novel she's been fantasizing about, even though it means leaving her close-knit group of friends and her precious dog, Harold, behind. At the retreat, Harold. <laughs> she's not allowed to use her real name or reveal any personal information. When the neighboring martial arts retreat is canceled and a few of its <laughs> attendees join their small writing community, Ava, now going by Aria, meets Dutch, a man who seems too good to be true. The two embark on a baggage-free whirlwind love affair, cliff jumping into gem-colored Mediterranean waters and exploring the splendor of the Italian coast. Things seem to be perfect for Aria and Dutch. But then their real identities, Ava and Matt, must return to London. As their fantasy starts to fade, they discover just how different their personal worlds are. From food choices to annoying habits to sauna etiquette, are they compatible in anything? And then there's the prickly situation with Matt's ex-girlfriend, who isn't too eager to let him go. As one mishap follows another, it seems while they love each other, they just can't love each other's lives. Can they reconcile their differences to find one life together? So that's the blurb. Sorry, slightly lengthy, but I love that it's like a martial arts retreat next to a writing retreat. And then you know, so hilarious. I, I did thoroughly enjoy it. It was a good change from what I usually read but yes funny I almost put it down at that sort of like past that first little bit (laughs) where I was like oh my god like it was that slightly painful kind of um experience (laughs) of seeing like people who are really really mismatched yeah but yeah I, I won't explain how it works out in the end in case you want to read it. (laughs) And so again, that was Love Your Life by Sophie Kinsella.
What was your read for the month, Ashley? Well, definitely a bit different to your book. (laughs) I have started reading Imperium by Robert Harris, which is a great, well, it's historical fiction and so far is excellent. I'll, I'll I'll read you the blurb and then I'll kind of go over how I'm feeling about it thus far. So... When Tero, the confidential secretary and slave of a Roman senator, opens the door to a terrified stranger on a cold November morning, he sets in motion a chain of events that will eventually propel his master into one of the most suspenseful courtroom dramas in history. The stranger is a Sicilian, a victim of the island's corrupt Roman governor, Varys. The senator is Marcus Cicero, an ambitious young lawyer and spellbinding orator who at the age of 27 is determined to attain imperium, supreme power in the state. Of all the great figures of the Roman world, none was more fascinating or charismatic than Cicero. Antero, the inventor of shorthand and author of numerous books, including a celebrated biography of his master, which was lost in the Dark Ages, was always by his side. Compellingly written in Tero's voice, Imperium is the recreation of his vanished masterpiece, recounting in vivid detail the story of Cicero's quest for glory, competing with some of the most powerful and intimidating figures of his or any other age, Pompey, Caesar, Crassus, and many other powerful Romans who changed history. It's very interesting, and I, it's hooked me so fast. I was going to say that that's kind of cool how it's like a recreation of like this vanished historical work yeah I like to be honest I didn't really read the blurb because my mum and my friend Sam well mum read it and then my friend Sam read it immediately after her because we were all like hanging out together one Christmas and then they're like Ashley you have to read this and I was like "Uh, okay like add it to my giant shelf of to be read Uh, so I just picked it up and started reading it and yeah it's like written in first person and it's Tero being like oh I'm you know I'm dying soon I'm almost they say I'm almost a hundred my master always wanted me to tell a story and so he writes it like kind of like a memoir which is quite interesting that's cool yeah so I've been enjoying it they do very well with their I guess Robert Harris does really well weaving in the bits of history and everything like that although I'm really jealous of how much shorter the names are (laughs) (laughs) that's funny um because there's a few super long names uh but then you know because i've known our ancient greece book i keep trying to purposely choose names that are really short to try and make it easier this book has much simpler names but it's pretty good i'd recommend it i'm about maybe 80 pages through so it's good enjoying it thoroughly i'm intrigued to see how the courtroom drama plays out it's quite people don't like each other it's great (laughs) (laughs) so much drama yes So I guess that brings this episode to a close. So if you would like to be on our author spotlight section, you can go to our website at lindersoncreations.com, hover your mouse over the podcast tab in the main menu, and it should bring you to a page under the name of Be Featured on Dear Writer, which will give you a form to fill out. And next time on Dear Writer, it's our main podcast where we're going to be talking about villains, which should be very exciting. I look forward to a dark, sinister Yes. (laughs) And if you'd like to know any more about us and our writing projects, you can visit us on lindersoncreations.com or contact us on Facebook or Instagram under the handle lindersoncreations. 
If you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, subscribe on your podcatcher of choice, tell your friends about us, and we'll be back next week. Happy writing, everyone. Bye.